message for us all, I think, today. Our text today will be in Romans 8. I find myself uh, these days going to Romans 8 quite a bit. And matter of fact, uh, this song is very appropriate today for the reading of this passage uh, that we have in Romans 8. We'll start reading and say verse uh, 26. You know, sometimes uh, when we come to Thanksgiving, we may come with a time in our heart where we're wondering how we can give thanks. It's interesting, the, the passage that Jane read a while ago began with rejoice. Always rejoice. And then let your thanksgiving take place. To be able to rejoice always is not just a, a flippant statement. It's not just a, a, a religious sort of nice thing to say. It actually can be a reality and should be a reality. In the Lord, in the Lord, there is that place where we can always rejoice. In the Lord, there is a way to stand up to fear. The Bible says love, perfect love, the love of heaven, the agape love, casts out all fear. And so we always are struggling with these kinds of things. Most all of us are. And so in Romans 8, this is one of the most encouraging passages and uh, uh, that I know of. And today I'd just like to read a few verses out of, start with verse 26, and we'll read a, some select verses down to the end here. It says, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us with our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not how we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You ever find yourself praying and you wonder, I don't know what to say. And you just sit and be quiet. That's, that's when the Holy Spirit can make intercession for you. He knows what's on your heart. And He searches the hearts and He knows what's the mind of the Holy Spirit. Because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. God's working in everything, in everybody's life. And He's working to the good. He's working for the good. It may not feel good, but He's working toward the good in whatever your circumstance is today in life. What shall we say, or what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? All these things you see that first generation of Christians were facing. 
as it is written, he said, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he winds up with this passage. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor any power, nor things present, nor anything yet to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't there a show on called Flop Flip or something like that? Flip Flop. Well, that's not going to go with my sermon too well, so I'm going to call this sermon Flop Flip. How's that? When we flop, God can flip us to the good. Have you ever run out of gas somewhere? I've done it not too long back. My daughter had to come and help me out. How many of you ever prayed you will make it to the next gas station? Been there? Have you been out in the middle of the Mojave Desert somewhere praying that, Lord, please let me find a gas station? When your resources are down to nothing, and it may seem like the end is near, your family, financially, your work, your church. How many of you have experienced God's divine provision at just the right time? Almost too late in your mind. God's come and provided. God's timing is so slow sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? And He will be past time by our clock. But He's working on our case. Is the Lord. When your heart is anchored to the heart of God then you'll be able to withstand some storms. And you'll be able to find the patience and the power of of waiting on God and working with God. God, let me work with you on this. The problem with a lot of us is we try to work our problems out just based on what we want. And we try to drag God into the way we want it to handle. And God's got a different perspective. But He will not forget us. He didn't spare Jesus. He will not spare at anything to keep working in our life. Think about some of the Bible characters. Think about Joseph. Joseph was down to nothing. He had lost his freedom. He was sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous of him. Don't ever let jealousy rule your heart. It will only cause you to do something stupid like these brothers did with Joseph. While he was in slavery, he was accused of of rape and thrown into jail. He was wrongfully accused. He was at the bottom of the barrel 
And yet he was innocent. And he was in jail in a foreign country, Egypt. Now that, if that had happened to us, we would be so angry and so bitter. But God was up to something in Joseph's life. God was up to something. He blessed Joseph. Even in prison, he blessed Joseph so that all that whatever he did seemed to prosper. And he soon got to be a trustee and soon the warden put Joseph in charge of the prison. And he gave Joseph, God gave Joseph this gift of being able to talk with people and listen to people and listen to their hearts. Even their dreams, he listened. And God gave him the ability to be able to interpret even these dreams. The dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. When Pharaoh needed an interpretation of a dream, they, he was pointed to Joseph. This troubling dream. And Joseph was able to interpret. And he was promoted by the Pharaoh of Egypt up to the second highest position in the land. Was God not working in Joseph's life? Moving him along? Using the vast resources of Egypt? And Egypt had, a, had, had wonderful resources agriculturally. And he foresaw that there would be seven years just slamming out the harvest. He said, let's use this to prepare. Because God's also, there'll be times of famine. It's going to come. And sure enough, it happened. Seven years of harvest, full harvest, seven years of famine. People back home in Israel were starving. His family was starving. The family that sold him into slavery was starving. And he brought his brothers and his father down to Egypt to provide for them. God was up to something in Joseph's life. And it was not even all about Joseph. It was Jacob's family. And that family would one day, in their time in Egypt, become slaves. For hundreds of years. And then the time would come when God would raise up Moses. You know the story. And Moses led the people out of Egypt. Joseph's life was a, was a life of provision. He said this to his brothers. He said, you meant this evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones, he said. And he comforted them with these kind words. God had blessed Joseph and he passed that blessing on. God had taken a flop of Joseph's life and flipped him to be a grand deliverer of his family and of God's future with Israel. And so we think about the providence of God. And I think Thanksgiving time is a good time to think about it. God overseeing all this. It's amazing. The more we learn about the universe, the more we're aware that earth is mighty small and God's made a great universe. Grander and greater than we even know now. With all that we got to see, we can't see the ends of it. 
whatever is out there, God is watching over all this somehow. You remember, you remember Gideon in the Bible? He's just a little feller. Just an insignificant man, really. In this land of Israel, this land of Judah, really. And uh, the Midianites were really uh, just ravishing the land like locusts. They were coming through, stealing everything that the, the Hebrews had. And it says that, that Gideon was, was so afraid that, he, that he, he had reached the bottom of the barrel and he was down to nothing. You know, we get down to nothing. God's up to something, right? And so he's down to nothing. And it's at this point that, that God met him and directed him to be the deliverer of Israel. And so he went out and he rallied some volunteers. He got 300, which is a pretty big group for a little fellow like him. A little nobody. But he got 300 troops. And while he was working on them and getting them all roused up and you know, giving them the pep speeches, God began to whittle down that group. You know, you can get in a flush of enthusiasm sometimes, but who's going to be the ones that will stick it out? And God whittled that group down before they ever went to battle. Down to a hundred. And with only a hundred men, He was able to defeat the Midianite horde and freed the land of the Midianite pestilence. God can use one person, even what might be a flop, He can use one person in a grand way. John War, who was a a shoemaker back in the 18th century. He had a man working for him named William. You know, there you go. And John repeatedly talked to him. We have lots of talks, don't we? But I'm going to veer away from you now. And about spiritual things. And this guy didn't want anything to do with it. And one day he got caught stealing from John War. And in his guilt and humiliation, he asked John to forgive him and help him. And he asked for John to pray with him. And through the faithful witness of John War, that man put his faith in Christ. And he developed into a committed Christian. And, and what's significant, other, we would not have heard of this man, John War, except for the fact that this William Carey was his name, William Carey, later became a fruitful missionary to India. One of the first missionaries of, our time, of modern times. And I'll put 18th century in as modern times when it comes to missionaries and that kind of work. And he had an influence on... The worldwide gospel outreach to modern times. Now John War could have just said, you know, I'm just a shoemaker. I'm not going to make much of a dent in this world. But he was faithful. He was faithful to those who were with him. And to this one who was with him, he sought to share a word. Helen Keller, who was blind as you know, and deaf, and could not speak for the longest time, learned to speak, 
learn to take in information. She said, I'm only one. But still, I am one. I cannot do everything, but I still can do something. And I will not refuse to do the something I can do. So, you know, somebody wrote, One song can spark a moment. One tree can start a forest. One bird can herald spring. One smile brings friendship. One hand clasp can lift a soul. One star can guide a ship at sea. One vote can change a nation. One sunbeam lights a room. One laugh can conquer gloom. One step starts every journey. One word starts every prayer. One hope will raise our spirits. One touch can show you care. One life can make a difference. When you feel like you're a flop, God is working. And He can make a difference in you that'll be amazing. You may never know. You don't know what kind of ripple your life causes and what it can cause. So don't take for granted whatever you think of yourself. Don't take for granted what God thinks of you and what God can do through you. The providence of God, the providence of God is redemptive too. It's imperceptible. You know, we might think we see what God's doing in our life. We may not even see the the nth of it. It's imperceptible. You may feel like the world is whirling around past you and somehow you're just standing there and all the world is moving and you're not. God's work is imperceptible. We, can't, we don't know His ways. And it is redemptive. You remember Peter? Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. In his own mind, maybe early on, he might have thought he was the man. He might have thought he was the man. But somewhere in Peter's life, he really flopped. When it came to the critical moment of Jesus' crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times. And after that, you better believe he was at the bottom of the barrel. He was down to nothing, wasn't he? But you know what? God was up to something. God was up to something. And Jesus met Peter... When he, had resur- when he had raised from the grave, he met Peter on the shoreline over the, lake of the Sea of Galilee and he restored Peter's confidence and restored his faith and he restored his position. He gave him the gift of forgiveness and he bolstered his heart and he filled Peter on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the disciples were praying and I'm, I don't know what kind of prayer meeting this was. I, I got to believe it was one of those, uh, Oh Lord, help us. Jesus now is resurrected. He's gone. What are we to do? What are you going to do with us, God? You've given us some kind of, some kind of commission to, to preach the gospel. How in the world can we do it? The Lord is gone. And it says the Holy Spirit fell upon them and filled Peter's heart. And he got up and he delivered 
to the people of Jerusalem. And these are the people in many ways. that Many of these had, had been those who helped put Jesus to the cross. And these people had come for this great day of Pentecost from all over the, the territory. And the people hearing Him preach, it says, was convicted on the spot. And they asked, what must we do to be saved? How can we know about this Jesus you're preaching about? How can we receive this Jesus? And He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. And accept Him into your life. And it says, 3,000 people that day were saved and were baptized. God had flipped a flop. Everything, Peter says, everything points to the cross of Jesus Christ. He preached the cross that day. Everything starts and heads back toward the cross. I hope we'll always be a church where it's okay to be here if you're not okay. And presenting a message of redemption. Not of judgment, but of redemption. The redemption of Jesus Christ. And the power of the cross to change lives. Not only to those who've never believed, and may it always be a place where you can hear the gospel but also a place for Christians who have somehow fell off the road. And they feel the Holy Spirit pull them back and call them back to the Lord and can pray. James Montgomery wrote these words, Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways. While angels in their songs rejoice and cry out, Behold, He prays. That little memory of the, the publican who came into the temple and fell on his knees. Lord, have mercy on my soul. I am a sinner. That's where I started. And that's where I have to return many times to the Lord. That, that appeals to the heart of Christ in a way that we need to appeal to Him. He needs to hear that because the providence of God is redemptive. God is working in all things, headed toward redemption. Redemption means to bring up that which seems to be gone, seems to be lost. Redemption is the power of God. To bring us back up. The providence of God is also progressive. You remember Job? Job had lost everything. His livestock. His wealth. All his children. He lost everything. But his wife. And in this case, his wife was antagonizing him. I saw some of you look at your wife like that. Don't be doing that. He was down to nothing. He was sitting on a dung heap, 
oozing sores all over his body. Physically, he was a, he was a mess. He had got down to nothing. When we get down to nothing, God is up to something. And God began to work in his life. A testimony to his friends who were men of influence themselves. And the word of Job's faith began to spread. And the story was remembered a long time and then written down in our Bible for us to know about. And the result was that God restored to Job more than he'd ever had. Great loss, yeah. But more than anything that he'd ever had. The Bible teaches us that, that the bottom is never final. It's not the end. It's not where we're to be. Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, for He knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. You just think you're at the bottom. Just wait till you turn dust. He has compassion. He never forgets us. He never forgets us. I don't know what yesterday may have meant to you. I don't know what today you brought with you in your hearts today. Maybe some real disappointment. Disappointment in yourself, maybe with somebody else, or maybe just circumstances. There's something in there that's really, perhaps for you, or many of you, that may be the case. We have a future ahead of us, and we don't know what that future holds. It can be a little fearful. But God cast out the fear. What can we do? Well, one is we can have a right attitude. You can allow your experiences to just make you tim- timid and afraid and just step out for fear of being hurt. Or you can say, I'm going to learn something. I'm in a place right now where I'm hurting. I'm going to learn something. You know, mountaintop experiences are great. You know, we go to church and we, or go, you know, we get ourselves all pepped up. We're all full, full of vim and vigor. And then when we walk out to the car, we begin to see it falling away from us. And then the reality of our life might be we're really walking through something painful. The Bible teaches us, yes, those mountaintop experiences are wonderful, but Jesus said we don't live up on the mountaintops. We live when we walk in the valleys, and that's where we learn. That's where we grow. That's where something's happening in our life. The valleys of disappointment, you might say. We're given opportunities to really take stock of our life. Have the right attitude. And know, keep to your Christian purposefulness. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I try to, I try to preach the whole Word. I'm... I get in the Old Testament. I've quoted some Old Testament today, haven't I? I get in the Old Testament. And I get over here in Paul sometimes. I quoted Paul today, or Jane did, and I quoted her. But you know what? Keep your eye on Jesus. 
His gospel were real important. They're telling us how to live and how to walk in our life. I read this. You know, I don't know too much. I can read a few things. That a spacecraft, for instance, that's on route to the moon, is off course 90% of the time. That's right, Teresa. How do they ever get there? Don't. Off. Did you say a man is off course? Oh, that man would never make it. Well, here's how what I understand, Teresa. It's pulled back by Earth's gravity and it's continually drawn side to side and there's all other kind of forces out there. But this spacecraft has a built-in computer that has a single purpose. And that purpose is it's honing in on the moon. And so it's correcting all the time. Corrections are being made continually. To keep that spacecraft on target with its purpose and its goal. If our eyes on the goal, we will have a single purposefulness. And nothing will stop us from our plan to get there. Keep your eye on Jesus. Whatever happens in life is going to pull you this way or that. And there's lots of forces. Keep your eye on Jesus. Put your focus on Him. Have the right attitude. Keep that Christian purposefulness. And if you fail, if you fail in a relationship or fail in some matter in life, it doesn't mean you're a failure as a person. It means you're a person who's failed. And the only real failure is to not try again. And not keep going. Not to get up one more time. Learn from where you've been. Say, I'm going to learn. And be honest about it. If you're not honest, you can say, well, I'm going to learn from my past. And some of us are just trying to scheme away to try to get away with whatever it was we got away with, but we're trying to get away with when we fail. That's not going to work. You've got to be honest to God. You've got to be able to take the, the bitter truth even about your own self sometimes and accept it. And let that be part of your healing, your part of your time with God. God, you're working in me. Number four, give God a chance. God's up to something. God's up to something in your life, my life. So if we feel like we failed or we believe we've done wrong, ask God to forgive you and And be sure to forgive yourself. It's one thing to ask God to forgive us and for Him to forgive us. We've got to forgive ourselves. And then with God's help, you can turn your failures into stepping stones. Think of Joseph. Think of Peter. Think of Gideon. Think of Job. You take any character in the Bible. David. Any one of them. And that's going to be the story. God is a redeeming God. And we, we get broken, but God heals us. And we're stronger because we've known the love of, and forgiveness and the mercies and the purpose of God in our life. We're stronger. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we just come to You and we thank You for the Bible.
and the many stories it has. But we thank You also for the Holy Spirit. Your Spirit. Your Spirit strives with us. Your Spirit speaks to our heart. Your Spirit is involved in our life and in movement in our life. And You're working through Your Holy Spirit in our life. You may be calling us. Calling us, Lord, to, to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe we've never professed Jesus as our Savior. You're calling us through Your Spirit. Lord, You've been calling us to bow down before You and just be honest. Acknowledge that we're sinners. And call upon our God to forgive us our sin and come into our life and live within us and commit our life to Him. You're a calling God. Your Holy Spirit calls to us who are believers. Our eyes can get dirty and dim. Our way can get confused. Lord, we can begin to live in defeat and without purpose. But God, You are working in our life. You're working for the good. We're there with nothing, God. You're up to something. So give us patience. Give us faith to keep our eye on Jesus. Lord, we love You and thank You for Your Word now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hymn number 275, we'll sing. Let's stand together. Maybe there's a decision you need to share and walk in this aisle today. might help you to signify that this is what I'm doing today and committing my life to Christ. Or if you want to bow on the altar here, or just there in your pew, if you just want to bow there and ask God to work in your life. Let's sing together, I Surrender All.
choir practice at 5 o'clock. 